Hi, I'm Monica Hallen and this is my podcast, Let's Talk Money. Every Friday, a new episode will drop that gives you a snapshot analysis of one money-related topic that has meaning in your life. And then I answer your money questions. My hope is to put you on the path to financial stability and freedom. So, let's talk money. I have a special episode for you today. As a new year begins, there's a sense of anticipation and expectation of what it will bring. Will 2024 be good for us or not? How will I do in my work? Will there be a large rise in prices? Will tomatoes get sold again for the rate of gold dust? What about my money in the market? To answer many of these questions, I have a very special guest on the podcast. And many of you I know are K-pop fans. BTS fans, I hope you're listening. Well, here we have today with us Varup Mohanty, who's the vice chairman of the board of Mirai Asset Management. That is a South Korean-owned fund house which manages over 1.4 trillion rupees of investor money. That's 1.4 and a lot of zeros after that, okay? It's a fund house that actually has put a cap on how much an investor can put into one of their schemes. Remember that fund houses earn on the total assets that they manage. And if a fund house is actually capping inflows and restricting the growth of their own assets, it means they earn a little bit less on that scheme. This definitely merits a greater look. So welcome to the pod, Swaroop. Nice to have you here in Delhi. I thought you're a pakka Mumbai wala. What brings you to the city? Monica, first of all, it's an honor to be on the podcast. The podcast has been doing well. I've been listening to the episodes and it definitely resonates with people. So please, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to them. And I feel more people should listen to you. Thank you. But yeah, I stay at Mumbai, but Delhi is not new to me. I've worked here. We are recording this in Malvenagar. I have stayed nearby in Gitanjali, a very familiar location but everything is changed in Delhi so it yeah. looks very new at this moment right. but so happy to be sitting here in front of you. Wonderful, wonderful. And thank you so much for your kind words, really mean a lot to us. Thank you for being here, thank you for making the time. So we are talking about our money in 2024 and the way that I will do it is that I will talk to you about our money and for the listeners out there as the head of one of India's largest fund houses Swaroop is a person who manages the money that you people give to the mutual funds to manage. And remember, an average person cannot do all the work which is required in terms of choosing stocks, maintaining the portfolios. You hand it over to a mutual funds. And here I have with you a person who just does exactly that. And his oversight on events, both global, national and local, would be a right kind of information that you might want to look for. So I'm going to do this in two parts, Varup. One is we'll look at some global events. We'll come to national and then we'll come and look at some of the predictions if you can make for the year 2024. We are in a world which is called a VUCA world. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. How do you as an individual negotiate that? It's very scary because things constantly blow up every few months. And then as a person who manages other people's money, the responsibility is yours. How do you think of it? 
I think two parts of your question. First, you know, when I used to study in Delhi during my management days, there was a professor who would say that the world will change so fast that the word change might change. And that, I think, became real when we encountered COVID. Right. I personally feel there was a time when the world was decided on before Christ and after Christ. Now it is before COVID and after COVID. Who would have thought that all of us would be stuck in our houses for two years with this virus ruling the entire world? And in my memory, never has the world economically stopped for two right. years in totality. Even in world wars, some part of the world was functioning. And if that's happened, then anything can happen, you know. And that's completely changed everybody, I feel. And we've come out of covid subconsciously, even if we don't realize it, very different people in our approach towards life. So once you've gone through something that substantial, I think one, you become open to change far more. Second, you become open to such eventualities happening. And the way we will approach life, trust me on this one, in the next 10, 20 years will be dramatically different to what we were before, say, COVID. And that's the impact that once had. So I feel it's, look at it in a positive way taking nothing away from people who have been impacted by COVID. I went through a very bad one myself. But uh, you are more open to eventualities and that will help us well in negotiating what is there in store for the next 10, 20 years. But when it comes to our money, it's psychologically damaging. You know, when in March, the Sensex dropped to what, 25,000? Imagine 40% drop in yeah, just one and a half months correct. would have shaken the best it, in the market. So it was literally, I mean, I've done the data. I know what markets do. But when I saw the net worth erosion, it is a very scary moment. I mean, of course, we did not sell out at that moment. But how do you even emotionally? So money management is really all about managing emotions. But Monica, I'll make a very personal confession yeah. here. Not many people get this opportunity to sit on a fiduciary chair. Right. I'm one of those fortunate ones who mm -hmm. sits on fiduciary chairs. And like you rightly said, the responsibility is large. To manage somebody else's hard-earned money is something which we have to uphold. So the first objective on our mind is, can we uphold that trust? It is a regulated industry. Can we work completely within that regulatory framework? Is the job that is there at hand? That is one. Secondly, then... You manage funds and each fund has its own framework. Can you stick to that framework perpetually? And for that, you know, the entire backend has to be in place, in sync with this whole thing. And third is to communicate very, very brashly and openly about the risks involved with every product. Uh, there was a time earlier in my career where I was shy of talking about risks. But now I've come to a position where I believe the more you talk about risks, the better the client gets informed the better than the solution comes. So we start our journey thinking that it is a business of return generation. As we grow as an investor, we realize that it is a business of risk mitigation. And the more we can talk about risks, then all this can be solved much better is my experience over the last 10, 20 years. Today, I talk about risks very openly, very naturally, and put it out in front of people so that both sides know what we are getting into. We are in a market which is very dynamic, which can change tomorrow. The more we educate people, the better they will be in, in making their investment solutions is where I come from. So what I think the listeners should take away from this is that don't just look for people talking up returns that mutual funds are giving. 
look for something called risk adjusted return look for how that return has been earned how much risk has that fund manager taken absolutely manka if a risk free return is say one say 5 6% just for Correct. discussion sake and somebody is talking about say 12 15% return it is very important for the investor to ask why this 12 15 every why has to be answered and more why's get answered the better informed the investors are Correct. don't go by just the returns there is a reason behind the return there is this statement that you know higher the risk higher will be the return i feel the statement should be modified to higher the risk higher should be the return correct it need not be that so right. so that right. gap one has to understand right. right next i want to talk to you about inflation and its many octopus arms that reach very deep into our lives the listeners need to know that the us central bank it's called the federal reserve or the us fed has been raising interest rates for more than a year although the market has been anticipating a fall the rates are likely to be higher for longer what is the impact going to be on the world in general and india in particular of the us fed keeping its rates higher see what people have to understand that globally we work in a very singular kind of a market in 2008 the great warren buffett simplified some things for me when he made that statement that the world trades in dollars till the time there is no counterpart to that one currency the world will remain dependent on us in many forms than one can sort of uh, think of every time us data goes this way the impact on the world is a matter of time and what has happened this time is pretty stellar i mean i'll just give you my personal experience my home loan between before covid and after covid went from 6.6 to 9.5 so that's a 50% growth in my home loan interest rates that's telling already on the tenure of the loan but the interest rates in the us have gone from 1 to 5 times and it's a very high mortgage market right so somewhere this is telling already on the inflation data we are very lucky that we have remained isolated so far but one should keep one's eyes and ears open and be open to some amount of this trickling down to india but the great part of india is we consume our own so we may not be as impacted as some other countries are already but the fact that there will be impact one should be open to that and one of the impacts really is that the foreign institutional investors now through the us treasury which is really a safe deposit for governments and companies across the world that return is becoming very attractive so does the equity premium turn negative i mean also in terms of the foreign institutional investors finding india as an attractive market because now they are already getting a risk free return which is fairly high why would they take something like a currency risk and while the market is fairly stable here but the impact of the fi investor is still felt you are absolutely right i mean whenever there is a flight to safety Uh, people then would like to go and own something which is stable and that is the dollar at this moment Correct. and some people might hedge it with gold but these are the two sort of areas where money rushes to and at this moment what you are saying is correct if those rates are this attractive then the risk premium to equity becomes a little less and hence we have seen in the last 2 3 years in particular india data being whatever it is is not getting the money that it deserves and it is not going to get till this parity is not restored of the risk reward between a good treasury bond versus equity is restored there is 
you've been harping on the subject or the point risk reward and that is yeah. where the catch is why will somebody come to equity if such rates are available from treasury bonds of the us do you see any time the rates have plateaued do you see the us rates beginning to come down because again for the listeners it has a very deep impact on our markets what the us fed does no i don't see the data reversing in a hurry okay because the impact is fairly deep rooted the impact is fairly diverse for it to change it will take some time but here's the thing i mean in every story there are two sides now till this data does not reverse money will not come to india in a hurry so the india story being intact it gives an investor this ample time to then buy it between now and then because once money comes in now the stock market is just a market it's driven by supply and demand now when demand rises of course the prices will rise and when money flows in the prices will start moving in the direction which it should but the opportunity for indians and indian investor is between now and that day so what i'm hearing swaroop say is that retail interest in the stock markets gets ignited when you see the indices moving up every day when the headlines and all the papers are of the sensex making new highs that may not be the right time to get your finances in order and suddenly rush to the market it is in this interim period when markets are slightly sideways that you actually think about your finances in a long term planned manner and then approach the market would you agree with this i will agree with that you put it very nicely in a very short form okay but i'm still not done with the doomsday story so let's look at a worst case scenario there are conversations about how the russia ukraine war the israel palestine conflict is really a proxy war between us and china what are the chances that we actually slide into a third world war and again for india we are vulnerable not on food we are vulnerable on energy what happens to us then because that's really the trigger for inflation for us i will just start don't discount there is a china taiwan thing also brewing around the corner that so i didn't even want to mention taiwan because one of the conspiracy theories is that us arms get exhausted in ukraine and israel and then china makes a move on taiwan and then we don't know where we are fair enough but the point i was making is yes the geopolitical scene completely stands changed with all these things happening and plus you know you have the us elections coming so if there's a change there then the mentality or the approach to the same situation can change overnight uh, one should be wise enough not to discount all this because a war has its own implications we are already seeing the implications on commodities you are definitely pointing out the impact of energy on india and these are things which you cannot just write off at this moment and i had thought honestly speaking that a war cannot last in today's market because it's not economically viable but look at the russia ukraine thing it's just endless and we've seen the other one starting so the lesson that i have learned is you know not to make statements on this which can go wrong because they are really stretching beyond all kind of possibilities and economy and logic right when you have individuals wanting to do some things which is a very clear departure of how the world was say 5 10 years ago in building finances and especially approaching life one has to keep these possibilities in mind and be open to eventualities and plan accordingly but are we energy vulnerable because yes, we we've tried a lot of solar 
it is now a certain percentage of our consumption we are still a very coal driven economy right? right so till we don't graduate out of that and we are trying to i mean there is definitely a plan on india and, and i think we are progressing on that the fact that the consumers are also waking up to it is a welcome change but at this moment you cannot deny that you are vulnerable so escalation of war is going to be a concern for possibly 2024 but monica you know once it starts from an unknown to a known people also start living with it right mm-hmm. when the war started to what it is i mean let's face it i know we're going to discuss it but next time when there is a medical emergency trust me we will be more open as individuals we will be more prepared as people so people start factoring that i mean when we looked at say i'll give a small example of say petrol prices above 100 rupees 10 years ago government should have changed at 100 rupees but there's a not a single car which is kept at home people imbibe that in their own finances and life moves on the simple point i'm making is as this starts going into a known territory people and economy start building their lives around it we are basically building in uncertainty into our lives them. and we yes. are saying this is the new normal this is how life is okay i'm going to come to india specific questions i certainly believe and i want to ask you if you do that we are in a unique moment where we have our ducks in a row as a country are we entering this virtual cycle of growth and again for the listeners it is growth which drives income employment consumption and growth of markets growth is the biggest antidote to poverty it is the biggest push towards wealth it is extremely important that india now sustains this uh, year on year growth rate and i want to ask you sarup would you agree that we have our ducks in a row and what are these ducks see monica i will answer this in a very straightforward manner because one is to believe you asked whether i believe it or not and the other is to internalize the two different things right and it is time that we started internalizing some of the things that are happening at india at a ground level we used to present the india story i'll give a small example i was preparing for a presentation some last two weeks ago and i took out one of my old presentations of 2003 when i was working here in delhi and the title said india a structural growth story in 2023 20 years later i am presenting the title india structural growth story in 2033 also i will present india structural growth story because we are in india we don't realize how lucky we are that we are in a 30 40 year old structural growth story none of our counterparts in the world can say that when we look at data points in india and this is again post covid whenever i say anything just reflect of what india was pre covid and post covid we used to talk about us being a service led industry but thanks to pli and 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 certain steps we are beginning to see the growth of manufacturing today you pick up any data point around our lives from car sales to four wheeler sales to airports being built to roads being built to consumption to any data point power telephones being sold whatever it is constructively quarter on quarter growth there was a little debate on the two wheeler sales being down but somebody corrected me saying that now that the electric two wheelers are going on right. these are not registered so they don't come into the data so you have to factor that in the simple point is india is now a diversified structural growth story there is this big debate between my boss and me saying that should india reverse to the mean of the world and i am saying that is this the point where india breaks away i would put my money on the latter because the data points are so strong that this will only build from here 
two things which you mentioned about poverty we now cross that proverbial 2000 dollars per capita and globally that's when economists take a j curve and you rightfully pointed out poverty starts getting eliminated the poor of today are not the poor of india which was 15 years ago just in 15 20 years life has changed and with this changes everything the approach towards consumption to approach towards spending to approach towards investing and that is something which we are seeing now so it is not about believing in this data it is about internalizing this data and actually firmly knowing that india data points from here in the last two days big debate whether we've crossed 4 trillion or Correct. not now we are on the path to 6 trillion that means we'll see 50 percent growth in the next eight ten years when the world data points are extremely weak and that's happening whether you think about it will you believe it whether you internalize or not india is what started in the mid 80s as privatization or liberalization is now finally taking shape and taking shape at a fair level or at a fair base now at 4 trillion economy it's not a small situation who would have believed that we would be the third largest economy of the world ahead of japan germany i would have never believed clearly but we are there and if you are there then it's time to start internalizing so this data this point the four to six trillion Indian, somewhere, some of us are probably stuck in the roti kapda makan mindset. What I hear you say is that we need to look at ourselves one more time and see where we have come. I agree with you, the post-COVID period, it's also a reflection of how well we managed the COVID crisis, both health-wise as well as the way that the Ministry of Finance and RBI handled both macro and the micro. Subsequent question to this is that we've also seen the balance sheets of banks and corporates getting cleaned up. IBC has come. We have seen the benefits of UPI. Some data I saw looked at the private sector investment cycle beginning at the beginning of the year. So what the listeners need to know is that the government had increased its capital spending during the COVID period. And the idea was that the baton is held on by the private sector to take the growth story forward because government can spend so much and then the cycle of growth begins. So I would want you to sort of, you know, explain what this means, twin balance sheet, virtuous cycle of growth and how it impacts us on our lives. I believe it has begun. I want you to either validate it or contradict it. I think two very important points you've raised. One is about the banking sector. Before COVID, we were talking about NPAs, the bank balance sheets being NPA terrible. NPAs, non-performing assets, when banks lend money which doesn't come back to them, it's a bad loan. So because banks then eat into their capital, they cannot lend more. And when companies take on too much debt, which they cannot repay, they go into bankruptcy. So the whole system gets stalled the way that we saw it in the last decade the entire system was stalled because banks couldn't lend and companies couldn't borrow, therefore they couldn't be growth. Sorry, I just wanted to explain no, this. Absolutely. You yeah. know, uh, so if you see the data points before COVID and now, today the banks are the healthiest globally. And make no mistake, we have the best central bank in the world. We are probably the best regulator in the world. And the way the finance ministry has handled this entire COVID catastrophe, if I can just put it in a small word, just speaks of the strength in our back-end supporting the economy. The lever supporting our economy right. are stronger than ever. So that has led to this complete change in the banking system. 
if you see in the middle of covid the rbi governor had said that the thing that we should watch out is for credit off tech that is for banks to lend money which has finally started in trickles but the chronology is what you've mentioned first the government will put its money to aid and then the private sector has to take it off and the private sector has started becoming so these are great green shoots for investors or people to watch which can then lead to a better india because 37% of nifty 50 which is our main index is banking it is very important for the banks to be in good shape and i can dare say that today our banks balance sheets are one of the best in the world that's good to hear there was a data release from the tax department that showed that the largest gains in incomes were in the range of 5 and a half to 25 lakh over a 9 year period which ended in financial year 21 this cohort grew its incomes 20% year on year 19% 22% but averaging 20% is it correct to say that we are moving from being a poor country to a middle income country so manka this is the thing about india i mean when you look at the global data on demography 60% of world population under 30 is in this country mm-hmm. that is crazy to just think i mean when you project this data 10 years 15 years later it'll be just indians everywhere because we are we are already there everywhere we are there yes <laughs> but look the power of this in the next 10 15 years is very difficult to sort of fathom you know this is what is driving this and when you look at income generation in the next 10 20 years and i will restrict it to 10 20 years because then the underlying thing of people again getting educated making them income ready is something which is being tested right now but for the next 10 20 years we don't see any issue in that and we will see only this double or probably triple from here and that is why this becomes such a powerful country because you know when you look at the income levels of india it will be like this typical indian male with a slight paunch in the <laughs> middle uh, because that's when the middle with bulge it's a good thing <laughs> which which is uh, uh, something which we have to watch out it's going from a pyramid which used to be very little people at the top with money to a big base of people without money to this indian male with a bulge in the middle and that is what will drive it in the future because the proverbial indian middle class is now finally becoming real and what and do you put the number at because this number always varies the indian middle class how many million of them are us it yeah. used to be 300 million 400 million it seems to be much much higher it will be at least four five times four five times more yes and it's that. growing faster because mm. the demography is beginning to right, play out right. suddenly our age will become extinct and yeah, it's yeah. the young no we are already old in this country of young yes, people yes, we yes. are already so i actually when you walk into a lounge or a pub you actually apologize sorry for increasing the average age of your room <laughs> absolutely i mean there is always this debate of generation gap between my father yeah. and me but the generation gap between me and my son is real yeah. because there is absolutely no yeah. correlation in my behavior and his behavior i mean he is not going to buy a house he is not yeah. going to buy a car their behavior is they are changing assets to experiences and so the way they will play out will be very different in their behavior from what india was and this will happen in the next 5 10 years No I really believe that people of our age we belong to the poverty mindset and the younger generation who actually was born after this 1991 economic reform they've been born into a wealth mindset and as Bob Schiller said it's your animal spirits it's the power of narratives which takes a country forward so if they have this wealth mindset then it actually does grow but I want to ask you just one more thing every time we talk of growth 
there are the naysayers in India who say, oh, but what about inequality? And I looked at the Gini coefficient number. Gini coefficient for the listeners again, it's a number which tells you the relative inequality of income. So if the Gini coefficient of a country is 100, which means one person has all the income. If the Gini coefficient is 1, which means the income is perfectly distributed amongst all the citizens. India is about 34 now, it used to be 36. And according to some estimates, a Gini coefficient of 40 is acceptable. One is, do you think we are getting more unequal? Or do you think it's a process of growth that the people with the assets will actually do better, but it isn't as if the poor are getting poorer? No, Monica, I don't look at the inequality. What I look at is at the bottom of the pyramid, are they growing? Like you rightly said, are the poor getting poorer? Are the poor getting richer? Right. And if you see the bottom of the pyramid, it's no longer a pyramid, as I said. It is looking like the bulge of the tummy. So the number of poor which we will have in the next decade will only reduce. See, rich make money, it's their life, it is their fate or destiny, whatever. It's very important that the bigger part of the economy starts making money. And that is where is the power of this country. And that is slowly but surely happening. In my lifestyle, I have seen the kacha houses now right. non-existent. I mean, you go to any village, everybody has a phone. Uh, all this has been replaced. Practically everybody has a two-wheeler now. So you are seeing the bottom part of the pyramid, which is no longer a pyramid, I keep on repeating, is now also growing. So one shouldn't get into this inequality because it's bound to happen. And that's worldwide. It's that's just right. not India. But are the big part of the country making money? The answer to that is a resounding yes. What are the headwinds in 2024 of the obstacles to growth? One of the biggest events which is ahead is the general election. How do you think that result, if it does not bring the current party back into power, how does that affect growth? See, when you look at the investment world, and I restrict it to this, the index, when you look at the growth of the index from the 80s till date, the index has grown in spite of all political action. What happens if the results don't go the way the masses expect? There can be a knee-jerk reaction to the markets. But finally, the markets are driven by corporate results. The markets are driven by balance sheets. The markets are driven by flow of money. And these three will remain intact is the bottom line of all data points. So we say that, you know, our NAVs are in spite of politics. Okay. Uh, and the NAV growth should continue. And that is correlated to the growth of the economy. This journey of India going from 4 to 6 trillion is real. I have this simple thing that if you have a good regime, this journey gets enhanced by a year or two. A bad regime delays it by a year or two. So make no mistake on the journey is my simple point. Okay, last part. This is where I ask you for some specific predictions for the year 2024. I'm not going to ask you for Sensex levels, but general direction of the stock market and the different sectors, large cap, mid cap, small cap, growth value. Any changes that you foresee in the constituents of the Sensex coming up? See, Monica, let's face some uh, major changes that have happened to the basic money flow of Indian stock markets. Say at 17,000 or 15, 16,000 of SIP book, the mutual fund industry is a buyer at one and a half to 1.8 lakh crore a year. 
the epfo gives in around 50 to 70000 crores a year that is the pension money which comes in and that takes it to 2.2 lakhs crore or 2.3 lakhs crore a year we have the insurance industry pumping in 50 to 70000 that's around 3 lakhs so the point i'm making is you have indian institutional and domestic buyers of 3 lakh crores ready for the market at any point of time that is known i'm not even adding the hybrid funds with their algos we are not adding the pmss of the world that is above and over this so the structure of the stock market stands completely changed in the last 2 3 years and that's what is given the market the underlying stability there is a buyer at all for and that's what differentiates everything we are not dependent on foreign money if the foreign money comes in it just adds to this irrespective of what is happening today the fact is the retail investor is the biggest hero of this market they are right. just putting in that monthly check right. which is collectively going to 17000 crores a month it's amazing that number just look at that story for the for the listeners the number is 17000 crore a month of your money comes to the market there is no market in the world where retail money month on month comes to a risky asset like an equity mutual fund the way it does in india there is also no market in the world where retail investors come in to buy when markets crash the way that we did in 2020 now there are headwinds like you rightly said two large headwinds are the global geopolitics and of course the internal political situation because of the election next year now there are two types of people in the world there is a buyer there is a seller the buyer wants the market to go down the seller wants the market to go up i see opportunities for both you have to decide who you are right on that opportunity be who you are and that's how wealth is created over a period of time yes if there are eventualities market will be impacted there is no doubt or debate on that but on that day how you act i mean i'll give you my own example in 2008 2009 i was not clear on my risk structure when the markets crashed because of the financial crisis i also behaved like a very naive investor and took my money out but in covid i was ready and when the markets crashed trust me and i can show you my account statement i didn't catch the real bottom of the market but i caught nearly 70 80% of the crash and because of that one move of mine my portfolio returns have gone up by 2% right so trust the story and then behave in a manner where you are looking at 6 trillion economy rather than a short term sort of event What I want the listeners to know is that the hero in your life in your portfolio is something called an asset allocation. Your allocation between debt and equity decides when you buy and when you sell. So for example if the markets crash and your 60-40 allocation, 60% equity, 40% debt falls to 50-50 because of a fall in prices, that's your cue to actually buy more. It's not a cue to sell the asset which has depreciated. So you know a lot of you will ask people is this a good time to buy or sell that's a question you have to answer your asset allocation tells you when you have to buy and when you have to sell would you agree with this absolutely because your asset allocation is based on your goal and your goal is yours it is not dependent right. on it because everybody's life is different so your selling point should be when your goal is attained not when markets are somewhere else right the market levels define a review of that asset allocation not an exit or an entry the best part of fixing a goal is you fix a journey to your investment once you know why you are investing you will know where to invest 
If you don't know why you are investing, invariably you will not know where to invest. And that's where the asset allocation comes in. So fix a goal. And on the day you achieve your goal, please redeem your money and enjoy your goal. That's when you should get out, not at market levels. The analogy I like to give is that some of these funds are forever funds. True. You are not getting out of it. It's not a buy and sell and book your profits. What are you going to do with the profit? So the idea is it's something that you eat the fruit of and at the end of your life, you leave it to your heirs. So this short-termism in the market is something that I think mutual fund investors, equity investors need to get out of. Monica, I'll leave a small homework with all investors. (laughs) If you are thinking the market is high and you want to redeem the market, my humble request is just write down the NAV that you are exiting at. And next time when you go back to buy, just check what NAV you are getting. Do it with yourself. And it's a good lesson. I've learned it the hard way since I'm asking everybody to do this. I am that old in the market that I have seen Sensex at 2000. Okay, so, you know, in a growing economy, markets will go up long term. There is short term volatility. I cannot say this often enough. But I want to come back to your SIP book, which is so large. My worry sometimes is that we don't have enough depth. What it means is that there isn't enough good quality stocks to absorb the flow of retail money which is coming in. We've got 190 IPOs coming to the market this year. So, See, if the retail equity pipe is uh, large enough, then the valuation just keeps going higher and higher because it's in the market to buy. How are we solving this let's get good issues to the market problem? Monica, you started the interview by saying that we've capped some funds. The main reason for capping money is you should take in money the amount you can manage or you can do justice to the underlying stocks. And some of the facts that you're pointing out are real. And that's our house view that... You should have a broader market with far more liquidity than there is. Liquidity is when you go to sell a stock, it should get sold very easily. Now, some of the larger stocks are good and liquid, but as you start going to smaller companies, the liquidity is an issue. The day you want to sell, there is a possibility it might not get sold. And we've been very cognizant of that view. And hence, we sort of try to take in money which will do justice to that. What you're saying is one of the biggest risks that we carry in the market Till the time this market does not broaden and it seems to be broadening with retail finally coming in, more trades happening, more people taking to equity as an asset class. The shift from fixed assets to financial assets has started again post-COVID. We started probably in Demon. So it is work in progress. The situation is better than what it was last year. But still we have a long way to go with 190. The issue is not them coming to the market. Are they quality stocks? Right. So that's something which you must leave to the fund manager to assess and uh, deploy. A lot of IPOs come. It's not that we participate in all IPOs. But they do lead to the broadening of the market. Okay, quick uh, estimates on interest rates and inflation for 2024. I think they will hold. They will At hold. least for 2024, I don't but see But we don't see a dip. No, I don't see them dipping at all uh, for okay. the next one year because the impact is fairly large. When you shut okay. down the economy of the world for three years, like say when, when we did demand, the impact happened after three years. It is that period. I don't see it reversing. At least my opinion is it'll hold. It'll hold. Okay. So we're almost at the end of uh, our conversations. It's last but not the least. We had this very engaging conversations about K-pop and the K-serials. What is your favorite K-pop band and series? Uh, so I, I buy a lot of vinyls. I listen to music in the analog format. So I buy a lot of my records from Seoul. 
But one day I went to a shop and I asked for some K-pop and after buying the records, the shopkeeper said, that's not for you. That's not your music, which I sort of agree. But I see a lot of uh, K-pop serials on and I would really request people to watch the Reply series. I was just mentioning. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, I've got a whole list from Sarup <laughs> that I'm, I've am i got on my list now to watch. You can watch the Reply series. You can watch Hospital Playlist. I think that's one of my favorite. Yeah. Uh, no, this and, is the new rage across the world, I think. And yeah, see, yeah, actually... Yeah. Manka, it's very similar. Koreans and us are very similar as people, as culture. It's the same middle class yeah. struggle for education yeah. and, and maybe at a slightly higher economic level. Uh, but people there and us, we relate very easily. So that's why it's been very easy for me to adapt to them and working with them. I'm also sometimes beginning to catch some Korean terms now, you know, <laughs> because you watch so much of it that you start to get some words. Yeah, my family, familiar. my wife is a big fan. I watch some, though I watch, watch a very different genre. Yeah, so my imagine. wife says I watch only blood and gore. So. <laughs> okay, this has been a great conversation. I'd like to thank you, Swaroop, for taking time out and talking to me and to you, the listeners of my pod. And I'm hoping this makes you negotiate 2024 a bit better. I'm wishing you a very happy 2024. May your money grow and grow. Do write and tell me how you liked it and suggest people you would want me to bring to the pod once in a while. And that's a wrap for today. I enjoy answering your money questions. Remember, I don't look at individual portfolios. I don't recommend products. Look upon this space as a place to ask strategy questions, doubts, and just basic things that you might not understand. Each time you have a good money outcome, I feel that I have won. To make sure that you don't miss an episode, press follow and help your friends get money smart by sharing a link with them. You can reach out to me at mailme at the rate monikahalan.com. That's Monica with a K. Tag my social media handles at the rate Monica Hallen. And finally, remember that you should have money and money should not have you. So let's talk money again soon. Bye. Let's Talk Money is hosted by Monica Halan. This is a Made in India production. Creative Director, May Mariam Thomas. Project Manager, Sean Phantom. Head of Audio Production, Karthik Kulkarni. Producer, Meghna Gulati. Sound editor, Sartak Ray. Artwork design by Alika Gupta.